right, Jazz's Backstage Pass. Let's do it. All right, and this is a very special episode of Jazz's Backstage Pass because sitting in the host chair today is Jazz's publisher, Michael Fagan. Now, Michael has his own podcast called Jazz Is Not What You Think, which you should definitely check out because it features people who love jazz but aren't necessarily musicians, people like actor Don Cheadle and even President Bill Clinton. So be sure to follow along with that podcast on jazzes.com, iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. But uh, anyway, Michael's guest on this podcast today is pianist Willem Simcock, one of the best jazz players to come out of the UK. He recently released a new album called Near and Now on Act Music. And when he's not playing shows with his own group, he's on tour with legendary guitarist Pat Metheny. That's right, Willem holds down the piano chair of Metheny's newest quartet, which also includes Linda May Hano on bass and Antonio Sanchez on drums. Michael talks about what it's like to play in Pat's group, as well as the making of the new album, and so much more. We're going to get into that interview in a minute, but first I'd like to thank Cobuzz.com, a streaming service that offers the most comprehensive CD-quality hi-fi catalog in the world, and the largest selection of streaming music in studio-quality high-res definition. You can enjoy unlimited streaming of all your music from just $9.99 per month with no strings attached. Just visit Kobuz.com. That's Q-O-B-U-Z.com to learn more. All right, it's time to get into today's interview between jazz's publisher Michael Fagan and pianist Willem Simcock. Let's go ahead and take it backstage. Willem, how are you? I'm great, thank you. How are you doing? Doing wonderful. Glad we could finally connect. Yeah, absolutely. Listen, I'm so sorry uh, it's been such a faff getting together. I really appreciate your persistence. Thank you. Oh, not, not a problem at all. I've been wanting to talk to you for a while. I've been, uh, I've been listening to you since uh, Good Days. And then when uh, Vignette came out, I said, wait a second. <laughs> oh, I, gotta, kind I of really... Me. I need to learn more about this uh, pianist, and uh, from there, it's been a uh, it's been an enjoyable listening experience, and and also enjoying how your career has uh, really taken off. So, you know, starting there, I you know one of the things I noticed is you know you move in both kind of the jazz and classical worlds. How'd that come about? Well, I actually started as a, as a classical musician. I, I started the piano when I was about three years old, I think. And um, the, uh, the the thing for me, I, I was always sort of brought up around the, there being music around. My dad is a sort of non-professional church organist and has been all his life. And my mother, um, whilst not a not particularly a musician, um, was a very, very creative person, very much into the theatre and drama. And actually, um, because I, I'm an only child, and I was actually home educated until I was nine years old, because my mother was a teacher, wow. and um, she made the you know a huge sacrifice of a decision to to teach me at home um, instead of uh, sending me to. She didn't sort of really think that the standard of education was particularly uh, good enough where we lived at the time. So she kind of took the decision to give up her job and. Um, and teach me at home. So I was sort of really exposed to, to music at a very early age. And um, I ended up 
you know, wanting to do more and more as I got as the, as the years went by. And uh, when I was nine, I ended up going to a, one of the four or five classical music schools, specialist classical music schools that we have in this country, mm-hmm. um, Cheatham School of Music in Manchester. Yeah. And uh, and and there I was trained to be a classical pianist, French horn player, and composer. Um, and I, I I feel really really grateful to have had the opportunity to go there because it's a very um, it's a wonderful institution. And uh, my parents again made lots of sacrifices for me to have that opportunity. And I, I felt like I, I was fortunate enough to to receive such a wonderful education, kind of the the nuts and bolts, uh, the rudiments of music when I was there. Um, but at the same time, I, I did realise, you know, again, as a, being a couple of years in when I was about 13 and in, in my early teens, maybe 13, 14, 15, that, that maybe being a classical concert pianist wasn't necessarily what I really wanted to do as a musician because it's a very kind of isolated lifestyle, you know, spend eight hours in a room practicing on your own. And, and for mm-hmm. me, music was much more of a should be a much more of a communal music making thing. Um, so it was amazing, really, because I was introduced uh, one of the teachers there who, in fact, were, is a great bass player who was a member of the the wonderful British big band Loose Tubes. Mm-hmm. Uh, this called Steve Berry is a wonderful educator sure. who gave me a cassette of lots of different uh, jazz musicians. And I, I sort of remember vividly the first four tracks of, of this album. There was a, a Keith Jarrett, Jarrett track, Questar, off my song, and then two Pat Metheny tracks and wow. a, um, a Egberto Gismonti track as well called Loro. And and these four pieces of music really changed my life, to be honest with you, because um, it had everything that I loved about classical music. It had all the rich emotion and the the beautiful harmony and the and the melody, but it had this incredible kind of thing of people interacting and and you know the the, the freshness and the energy of it, which I it w- w- was such a kind of bolt from the blue for me. It was completely out of somewhere I, I'd never even imagined before. So so you can imagine you know that kind of music, what what effect it had on me, and that that really sure. kind of changed my life, to be honest. That cassette. Well, it's interesting you mentioned loose tubes. I haven't uh, listened to, I haven't talked about loose tubes in years, but I do remember the first time listening to one of their projects and saying, these guys are doing something extremely interesting and very innovative. Um, And what are they doing these days? Well, I think they did have a reunion in the last the last year or so, actually, um, and they 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 brought out an album. And you know, as things happen when everyone gets a little bit older, everyone goes yeah, their own, sure. own ways. And there's been so you know, they're all such wonderful musicians that they've gone on to have very diverse and successful careers. Yeah. Um, but I, I guess there is something quite there's something British about British music, which is <laughs> it's kind of difficult to put your finger on, but it does have a certain thing somehow. I'm not quite sure. I mean, culturally. You know, we have so much to draw on from the, the European side, certainly with classical music and, and so much from the American side, obviously, with, with jazz. Um, but we've got such a fantastic tradition of folk music and, and you know, the, the wonderful British composers from all the different ages that there have been. And there's just something about it, really. It's, uh, this sort of comes up in conversation quite often. It's quite difficult to really put your finger on what it is. Mm-hmm. But but for me, I feel so grateful to have, you know, grown up here and to be to be part of this sort of... Uh, you know, part of this country and and this this sort of scene of of quite individual music. Well, full disclosure, my grandparents are from Manchester, so uh, <laughs> but uh, but I'm an I'm an American, born and raised. Um, you mentioned uh, you know some of the Brits that you were influenced uh, had an influence on you. I know that you played for a bit with uh, a friend of mine, Bill Bruford. 
Yeah, absolutely. Well, that was my first sort of big, big opportunity to to do a bit of touring around the world, which is which is a great privilege and fantastic. And you know, he's he's an absolute legend to, to so many people. So it was it was a really really wonderful experience getting to know him and and to and I guess on a kind of a boring technical music perspective, it was a great interesting challenge playing all these very odd time signatures and not just five and seven, but you know, eleven and thirteens and seventeens and that's Bill. Nineteen and three quarters and blue and pink and Friday and all these time signatures you can't you can't really imagine. So and, and he's such a wonderful guy as well and so um so well spoken and such a you know you know intelligent guy and it, it's brilliant to you know all the experiences I've had working with other musicians. I always try to learn learn from that experience because that's one of the beautiful things that we have as a musician is that you never stop developing you never stop learning you never stop having different experiences and different things coming and going from, from your life and uh, you never sort of really wake up one morning thinking right this is it i do it now you know you're always striving to develop further and and that kind of happens till the day you die really and i, I that's one, one one of the most important and wonderful things about being a musician for me well you know you mentioned time signatures and and uh you know certainly bill bruford pat i mean uh, Time signatures there are uh, incredibly interesting, uh, and of course, from from Pat's band. While I know, a while back, I know you uh, you do things with Steve Rodby, and uh, Steve's an old friend, and uh, your band that uh, is kind of the segue. What I wanted to talk about: you do duets, you do classical, you have this you know wonderful band that that people should know about called the the Impossible Gentlemen, uh, and interesting that all these have. Uh, time signatures that are, aren't, I guess I could say a little bit atypical and, and that makes them very uh, fun to listen to. Well, so thank you. I mean, the, the, for, for me, the, one of the interesting things I was having this conversation the other day and when you write music, when you're composing, quite a lot of the time it, it's nice to try and let the idea flow out as you're hearing it. Sorry, I don't mean to, to go into a sort of weird, pretentious uh, rant, but uh, you know, you're trying to let the music flow out in the way that you, you're imagine, imagining it in, in sort of real time. And sometimes, you know, it, does, it doesn't just fit into a four or, or a three. And it actually ends up when you write these things down being a lot, looking a lot more complicated than you ever want it to sound. And that, that, that's quite an interesting thing that comes up quite often, I, I guess. And certainly for me, because a lot of the music that I write um, is a little bit more through composed than just being like 32 bar tunes or something like that. Mm -hmm. that, uh, that, that, that these elements sort of come more into play and trying to find a way of making it all sound natural. I mean, I, I would hate to ever write music that's complicated for the sake of writing music that sounds complicated because that really doesn't do it for me at all. You know, I mean, I... I I guess the challenge is to try and write the music that you want to write, but to make to do it in a way that that can really communicate to people. And I think that's one of the most crucial words for, for us all as musicians is communication. And when I'm when I'm tutoring or lecturing, uh, do, doing education, then that's one of the first things that I'm always banging onto the pupils about is how to communicate your ideas in a way that people can perceive them as listeners. Because as musicians, it is very easy sometimes to get into your own world of, of what you're doing and actually trying to step back and perceive the music that you're making as a, almost as a third person to try and listen to it as a listener as opposed to you as a as a doer right um, it is a really important process i think actually oh. and so sorry you went going off at a weird, weird angle but but actually that that process of writing the music that's sometimes it does come out in these weird time signatures and, and different places but you never really want it to sound like that you just want it to sound like a flowing melody and a, a flowing piece of music well, that, that's uh, for our listeners should know that uh, 
This is uh, Professor Gwilym Simcock at the uh, Royal Academy of Music. But what's what you just mentioned is is something that I noticed immediately in your music. I mean, it's complex, but it's incredibly musical. Uh, and I think that's what grabbed me. I wasn't necessarily even sometimes I listen for complexity. I wasn't necessarily looking for that, but it did grab me emotionally, which I think is maybe the secret sauce that you've kind of figured out early in your career. Well, I think emotion's the important thing, and certainly as I've got a little, little bit older, and and what what becomes important to you is it gets very very much more kind of kind of crystallised. Really, that that music should move you, it should evoke emotions in you when you listen to it. So actually, from a technical point of view, as a as a musician uh, writing music and improvising, finding the the musical tools and the musical apparatus to to create these different emotions in the people who are listening, that that becomes the 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 fun part of it. That becomes the purpose of it, really. And and, um, you know, if you, I have to say, you know, a lot of the music that I end up listening to these days, new things that come out, there's so many things which really engage your brain, but they don't really move you. You know, the, the amount of times I want to put a new album on for a second time is kind of scarily low, really, which is really, which is really unfortunate. You know, I always mm-hmm. find, find myself going back to the, you know, back to the, the certain home runs of things that I know are going to work for me. Like I'll go back to listen to Jaco Pastorius's Word of Mouth or... <laughs> Matheny's Travels or yeah. Ravel's String Quartet or, you know, the pieces of music that I know really grab me and make me feel better for having listened to them. And I think that's a really, really important thing in music. I'm not saying that I uh, I achieved that, of course, but that's what I aspire to do is to try and create these pieces of music that actually take you on uh, an emotional journey, hopefully, so that when you get to the end of it, you feel like you've gone you've gone along with it, you know, and I think that that element of engagement, and again, goes back to communication, is absolutely a, the the paramount paramount purpose, really, of what, what we have to try and do as musicians. Yeah, and, and you, you know, doing orchestras and, and big band and, and, you know, classical jazz folk, uh, even sometimes even more rock, any preference, you have any style that you enjoy more than another? No, not really. I think that having having diversity is absolutely crucial for me. I feel feel really privileged because I I, I have the kind of career that um, I suppose really most people build up a really a big career because they do one particular thing. You know, they do a certain thing, and that's what they become extremely well known for. Um, and that's never really sort of worked out for me because I <laughs> I just love the challenge of being putting in put, put into different situations because then you have to really think on your feet and you have to you have to learn you know you have to develop your your hone your skills to work in these different situations so for me you know th- this year in particular like the last uh, last four or five months I've done some orchestral music written some big band music um played in some chamber concerts done some solo things and and each each week is a kind of different challenge and, and for me that's what I, I i absolutely love and and i wouldn't have it any other way but i i guess the challenge then as a as a as a product as a musician is to try and have a coherence to your output so that people are not scared by the fact that you might do different things and and for me i i feel like that should be a, a strong point to be operating in different situations but i i do fully appreciate that that can scare people sometimes because they don't entirely know what they're going to to get so i guess that's just one of the sort of trade-offs that you you have really but uh, yeah well you take take an artist like like miles and someone will say you know i love miles and my immediate response is you know which miles uh, you know there's you know there, you can listen to miles in the 50s it sound nothing like miles in the 80s 
Um, and he wanted it that way. I, th I think Pat's sort of the same way. I mean, Pat goes back to his popular repertoire from time to time, but he's always pushing to do something new, whether it's to keep him excited about the music or, or whether it's something that he wants to try and experiment and go through this whole discovery process. I think I agree with you. I think that's what music is all about. No, absolutely, certainly. And and one of the interesting things as well is that, again, as I've got a little bit older, sort of, I, I realised that you have to kind of make the music in a way, roughly speaking, of what you want to listen to yourself because that's what you're going to end up kind of being able to give the most to. I think it's probably unsustainable to kind of be working at music that isn't really who you are as a person because you never quite give that 100% to it in the same way as as you do to music that you actually you love you, you you know it's like your it's like your baby when you're creating a piece of music you put so much effort and and time and and love into making it as, as good as you can be um and and then you have to give it away to, to people to listen to and that that can be a, a challenging process sometimes but it's something that, that you obviously have to go through yeah it's a it's a interesting thing that i've been studying for uh, i guess 35 years and that is the jazz audience and, and, and in a very broad sense, people that might be interested in jazz, not just people that are already hardcore aficionados. And and the, the thing that I've noticed, and I think uh, you play right into this, and that is um, people are the jazz people, even even newbies are interested in hearing something new. They're they they're they're into this concept of exploration and discovery. Um, it's it's I've always said it's what it's what separates art from pop music. I mean, Art is, is sometimes difficult, but um, and pop music is kind of listening to music that everyone knows very well. It's popular. Um, but the exploration and discovery that, that people enjoy, a lot of people that love jazz, I think they get that with you and they, they listen to it and they say, you know, this artist is going to take me on a trip. And, you know, we'll talk about your new album, uh, that you, your most recent album, Birdsong, but it's that kind of exploration that someone who may have listened to uh, one of your early projects says, wow, this this is a real departure for uh, Gwilym Simcock, but in fact, it, it's part of your, your adventure. Hey, it's Brian again, with just a few more words on Kobuzz.com. Now, you might already know that Kobuzz offers the biggest catalog of hi-fi and high-res albums in the world, both for new releases and specialized genres. But for hundreds of thousands of albums, Kobuzz also includes all the information you need to recreate the appeal of a real CD. The names of musicians, producers, lyrics, there's everything you need to know to appreciate your favorite albums. Kobuzz is compatible with all types of audio equipment and also provides advice on your hi-fi equipment purchases. Not only that, but every week, Kobuzz publishes interactive articles that widen your musical knowledge. And you can even download these high-res files to listen in offline mode so you can enjoy your music even when you don't have internet access. Subscriptions to Kobuzz start at just $9.99 per month. Again, visit kobuzz.com, that's Q-O-B-U-Z.com to learn more. All right, let's get back to the interview. And uh, with that, let's talk about Birdsong. The, uh, it, it's, it's, it's really kind of a, a tribute to wildlife. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, funny enough, talking, talking about pop music, I mean, I, I guess out of all the things that I've ever done, actually, this is probably the most 
commercial in a way because it is working with a with a singer, a wonderful singer songwriter who's very young actually. She's in her early twenties, and um, if you know, you might think, I think, oh, that's that's going to mean, you know, what, what's a, a singer that age going to going to sound like? But she's got this incredible voice. You know, if she gets down below middle C, then it, to me, it just it just reminds me so much of Karen Carpenter actually, sure. one of my <laughs> favourite singers. Me too, me um, too. I don't know if you if you got that when you heard it. I mean, that, that's yeah, that's I did. She's got that fantastic side to it. And we were sort of thrown together a little bit in a way, which sometimes can, you know, you can have these fantastic results in, in, in that sense, because you, a lot of the time you maybe choose to work with people who you, you have a kind of common affinity with anyway, but sometimes you're just thrown together with people. And as I was mentioning earlier, you know, it's nice to, to feel like, right, we've got to, we've got to work out how to make this, this work now. And she's, she's a wonderful singer songwriter and comes up with these fantastic little hooks of, of melodies and ideas. Um, she wasn't classically trained anything like that. She doesn't really read music so much. So it, it actually, the whole process has been fantastic because I think somehow we have complementary skills uh, as musicians, which actually has sort of worked really well, I, I hope. Um, hope I hope it sounds like that anyway. It I does. mean, we writing writing the music was a really, really simple process, actually. And anyone who's sort of co-written music probably will, will realise that that's not always the case. You know, it's quite a challenge to, to, to write music with another person. But it's brilliant because you get this kind of extra filter, kind of two-tick two system almost to, to everything that you create together because it has to really pass by both of you. Mm-hmm. Um, so we, we kind of wrote these songs and um, I was sort of given the brief of having six sort of orchestral musicians of my choosing to, to add to the two of us. Um, so I chose a string quartet and flute and horn. String quartet is just such a fantastic kind of mini orchestra, of course, in itself. Um, because this project is essentially about nature, about birds, about a rainforest, I thought, well, flute's going to definitely come in useful yeah. at some point. Um, and as a, a sort of French horn player myself, I'm very aware of what a beautiful instrument that is and what a wide range, literally, that it has, but also emotionally and, and you know, all the different kind of moods that, 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 that it can create. So I... We, we sat down over a couple of only a couple of sessions really and wrote wrote all the music for the album and then I took it away and sort of expanded it really because I didn't want it just to be kind of AABA songs in a kind of I, I really wanted to to be a project that could really communicate to people in, in a way that maybe is is easier to do them if you're just writing instrumental jazz music but at the same time I wanted it to have an interest to it and have some different layers to it so that uh, sorry to go off another tangent, but but for me, something that's always been really important is to try and make music that will stand repeated listening. Mm-hmm. Um, again, you know, I mentioned before, there's so many things that you listen to and you listen to them once and then you, you can't really bring yourself to, to get something else out of them on, on repeated listening. But I've, I've always tried anyway, that's what I aspire to, to try and create music that you can listen to, you know, multiple times and hopefully find different bits of interesting stuff within there yeah. the, the times you listen to it so i wanted this project to be hopefully have this two-layered thing of being instantly accessible to, to listen to but at the same time have a depth to it and a kind of gravitas that that hopefully people who are more interested in through composed music and improvisation those kind of things could could also get into yeah, it's it's a beautiful project, and and I you introduced me to Kizzy Crawford, the vocalist that you uh, uh, who is your partner on this project, and um, I, I was I, I did not know of her before, uh, and I know maybe it's because she's she's Welsh, but um, she's definitely someone who I think we're going to be hearing a lot more from. 
Yeah, absolutely. I mean, there's a couple of things about it, I guess. For me, um, firstly, actually, the album is bilingual, so it's half in English and half in Welsh, actually, because um, the the subject matter is actually there's a a rainforest in the middle of Wales, which sounds extremely odd, but it's true. Um, So that was really the the main subject matter for for the piece of music. And we decided to kind of write basically a song cycle covering the passage of the seasons, which is, of course, such an obvious subject to, to, to draw upon with nature. Um, and and for me, I, I'm really it's probably the thing I'm most proud that I've ever done in a way because I this is the first project I've taken on also as a producer. So I basically put the whole thing together, oversaw the recording, did all the the editing and everything and and mixing and producing. Um, so it's been a very much a labour of love for me. I kind of put in about 250 hours personally to to the project to to put it all together. So it's something that I've really I really feel very passionately about and and I really proud at the end of it because i can sort of hear the effort that all the musicians put into it um from their different the different quarters and uh, as i say you know you just hear kizzy singing she's just got this fantastic voice which is so easy to get wrapped up in i think as a listener so um so i'm really grateful myself to have met her yeah we we put um there's a track on our upcoming jazz's uh disc uh, that's in the summer issue and it's uh another source and um it's 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 a beautiful. Uh, is it Tartal Aral? I, I'm pro- probably pronouncing it wrong. It's uh, uh, the name of the song. Um, yes, yeah. Absolutely. I mean, it, it's funny actually that that might not have even been the the the, the track I would have chosen to put on that in in a way. Because, but I realise I think we we chose that one because um, because of the length, obviously, for your for your sampler. Um, but the, that actually that that's the first main track of the album. We finally the, the first track itself on the album is like an introduction like a kind of overture and yes. without, without words then actually starts with a with an audio recording of, of birdsong and and that's it kind of fades in and the instruments the the classical musicians actually who embraced improvising themselves fantastically they they kind of emerge out of this this beautiful sort of soundscape of the yeah. Uh, of the birds it's funny quite you know one or two people said to me oh you can't really have that at the beginning of album you know you've got to have the first song and that's that's what people want but i thought why why not try and do something a little bit different you know this this project is about nature and i i love the idea of music emerging from from the kind of soundscape of wherever it is instead of just hitting you over the head as as often as the case at the beginning of an album so so for me that was something i wanted to to be the way that the music began so um, that that's if you were to pick a track you wanted in to introduce that album to would be the first track. Obviously, well, you, you put it on there for a reason. Yeah, I mean that that one probably wouldn't work for for, for your sampler because there's no there's no vocals on there, for instance. But uh, well, it, it's, a, couple it's not... of, a couple of the longer tracks on the album are, are, are a little bit more through composed, which I, I guess for me I'm I'm proud of those because again, writing wise, there's a little bit more more depth to them. But the first the, the choose that we, the, the song that we did choose for for the sampler is one of the ones which hopefully um is very accessible to to your listeners and it's something which hopefully will uh will will draw people into to, to, to wanting to listen to the rest of the album yeah i think it will yeah the, the i i love the opening uh, track in fact uh yeah, i think it, i think it was something like 10 or 11 minutes and i and i said you know you can't edit this down it's just you have to listen to the whole piece well, that, that, you know, that's I, I get that a lot, really, with with people wanting pieces of music that are sort of four or five minutes long, and and because people inverted commas don't have the, the you know the attention span, and I think that's a, <laughs> I don't think that's really true. You know, I think people will 
will embrace what what you give them you know if you do things in the right way and again if you communicate the, the ideas that you have then well why shouldn't we listen to a nine or ten minute track i'm not saying that they all are on the album i mean most of them are shorter than than longer through composed things but there are there's one or two in there that are more like nine or ten minutes and i i can't really feel apologetic about that you know that's just, they <laughs> no reason to. again that, that, that's the journey that that particular track takes yeah, I'll take I'll take a long great track any day. And and uh, <laughs> Symphonia Simru, the the uh, the the orchestra or small orchestra that you're talking about, um, you've worked with them before. They sound beautiful on this record. Yeah, I, I must say it's a, it's pronounced Cumry, which is Cumry. A, a complicated word, but um, <laughs> uh, so yeah, did, did, did I like... did did my American English come off pretty well there? I should have said, how about that Symphonia Simru? <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I must I must sort of admit at this point that I don't actually speak Welsh myself. It's an incredibly complex language, as I'm sure anyone who's who's sort of come across it across it will realise. But um yeah, no, they're they're a wonderful ensemble and that the musicians really uh, approach uh, different types of music extremely open-mindedly you know they're not just sitting there playing Beethoven and Mozart they're all they're actually quite one of the the briefs to to, to be a member of the the group is that you're you are uh, under a certain age so that they're all kind of young people who are who are you know pretty much excited about um, getting into different areas like improvisation and different types of music uh, and it, it, yeah, it was just one of those things where it just came together beautifully, really. Everyone really went the extra mile to, to put the extra effort into making it really work. And and that, when, as I'm realising for, for the first time as a, as a producer and being in charge of a project, having that kind of effort from everyone, that extra effort, it, is massively important and a real, real privilege to be a part of. Yeah, that's great. So switching gears a little bit, the... Uh... How did you meet Pat, and what led to you touring with Matheny? Well, I mean, again, um, that, that, as I mentioned a little bit, a bit earlier, one of the first things that got me into jazz was listening to his music. So um, I'd always been a, a, a massive fan, of course. And then um, a couple of years ago, maybe four or five years ago, I just got an email from him out of the blue um, saying, hello, <laughs> I've been at... You know, I've been a fan of your music for a while, and just just like to say uh, that I really enjoy it. And it, needless to say, I was sort of dancing around my, uh, my <laughs> living room in, in delight. And that was quite a few years ago now. And we we sort of loosely kept in touch. And uh, one of the uh, what at some point a couple of years back, um, he was he sent me an email saying, oh, "I'm playing in London soon. Would you like some complimentary tickets?" Um, and sorry, that phone's going. Is that annoying? No, no it's fine. Uh, he said we'd like some complimentary tickets and I said yeah of course that'd be fantastic and I, and I thought and this was like three or four years ago and I said well thought to myself nothing nothing ventured nothing gained so I, I wrote back and said yeah I'd love some tickets is there any chance we can have a little play while you're here and uh, um, expecting him to just say no you know would love to but but can't because obviously his touring schedule is so intense um, but he wrote back and, and he actually kind of instantly changed. He had a kind of free day in the tour. So he changed his flights to stay in London for an extra day, which was obviously a huge, uh, hugely grateful to him for. And and I booked a little a little tiny concert hall in the middle of London that has a nice piano and a nice acoustic. And we just got together for two or three hours and played some tunes. Um, I, I, I mean, of course, as you can imagine, it was one of the scariest, uh, well, <laughs> one of the exciting, but one of the scariest moments of my life, you know, at the same time, to to be sitting there all of a sudden on a, 
Tuesday afternoon or whatever it was with with your hero playing some music together, which I, I really couldn't believe it, you know. But he he's uh, as anyone who, who's met him will, will say, you know, he's such a, a lovely man and a, a, such a well spoken and an incredibly deep thinking person. You know, it was just amazing to 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 get to meet him and spend a bit of time together and. Um, a couple of months after that, I got another email from him saying, you know, are you free now for, for these particular dates to, to do something? And um, and it sort of went from there, really. Wow, that's great. So, so, yeah, it was quite quite something. I still can't quite believe it. Obviously, still sort of pinching myself. But uh, amazing experience. Just uh, the, the tour that we've been doing, actually, is um, is has basically been playing a lot of his, his famous tunes. So, uh, uh, you know, playing all these hits every, every night that... That people know and love and sing along to, and, and being part of that uh, night after night, it's still it's quite a surreal experience. But I've I've already learned so much from it. You know, certainly not least about the kind of the process of touring in that way. I mean, I don't think anyone else has really toured in in the same to the same extent that he he does really. So that's that's been a, a kind of lesson in in music becoming a, not a job, but 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 something which is a, a lot more of a challenge than say going away for a, for a week here and there as, as, yeah. as we kind of do when we're back yeah. at home. Pat's a, Pat's a road warrior. There's no doubt. Oh, uh, goodness, absolutely. But, but it's just fantastic each night to go to a different city and then you just have the, this, the, you can see that people, people's lives have been moved for, for decades by, by his music and then to be part of that musical legacy. And actually we made an album of new music, which is coming out um, later this year. Uh, for me, it's just, it's unbelievably humbling. I, mean, I, I know it's an obvious thing to say, but I really do hundred percent genuinely mean it. It's just so humbling to have been a part of, of his musical kind of life. I, I you know, something that, which will of course, go with me for the rest of my life of, of having had that opportunity uh, i'm just just so uh, grateful and and, and honored to, to have been part of it yeah yeah pat's, pat's wonderful he uh yeah i in fact on his website there's one q a interview that i did with him i want to say like 10 years ago and it got pretty deep i mean we talked about a lot of you know things and obviously about music but life and and other players and uh He's a very, very, very articulate guy, and, and it, 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 you should check it out. It's it's actually a really good interview with Pat. All right, well, yeah, I'll, I'll check that out. So, so what next? You 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 have this you know wonderful uh, new record with, with Kizzy Crawford, uh, and and it looks like you know what what's your next project? Yeah, obviously you mentioned you're doing uh, this new project with Pat. How about a what's the next uh, Gwilym Simcock record going to be like? Well, I'm going to. I've got a couple of things I've been working on, as sort of seems to always be the case. But I'm. I think probably the next thing I'll bring out is going to be a solo album because I, I've, I've not done one actually for for quite a long time, and it felt like the right time to to do that. And of course, logistically, it's quite an easy thing to do in a way, um, put, putting together compared to a lot of the other things I do with big bands and, and orchestras and things. Um, and it would be nice to just to to get into that focus of. of of putting together a new repertoire of solo piano music because I, I really I really love doing that because it's a combination of writing tunes but at the same time trying to to, to do this thing where some things are a little bit more through composed and have a little bit more of a, a longer arc to them um, and I'm actually coming over to to America to to visit you guys next year to to do wow. some solo concerts um, which will sort of be promoting the album by by then so I'm really looking forward to that of course 
it is a challenge for us from for over here in Europe and and Britain to to come over to America and to have the opportunity to to play because it's it, it just seems to be the way that it is really to to get a reputation over over with you guys is is very much a challenge for us. So I'm grateful to to have already had a couple of opportunities to come over and play play some solo concerts over the last few years and hopefully can try to to build that uh, momentum a little bit in the coming couple oh. of years. That'd be great. Well, we'd love to be part of that. You know, the the uh, the the song that uh, that I hear when I think of you, um, and at least for me, and it, that that means that it may not be for anyone else, <laughs> uh, is "Good Days." Um, it seems to be the anthem that I think of when I think of you as an artist. Um, oh, that's really really kind of. has that become? Uh, just out of curiosity, has that become like a, a, a favorite of, of your fans? Oh, oh God, it's kind of weird to think of one of them fans. <laughs> it's kind of funny, really. It's still a, it's a real privilege that anyone will buy any of my albums. And, and you know, if I go to different countries and somebody comes up with an album that they bought for me to, to sign, I, it really it's really moving to, to think that people in, in other parts of the world would, would have listened to some of my music. Um, I, I guess that tune, that particular tune um, that, that that you mentioned is quite an upbeat one. It's quite a positive one, and and I, that that for me is quite important in music. So I guess it is a nice representation of the kind of thing that I I like to do. Um, and I had to do for for one of the newspapers over here, the Guardian. I had to do a, a kind of online. Uh, video sort of instructional a kind of explanation of that particular piece of music which people seem to enjoy as well because uh, you know just like now speaking to you it's it's wonderful to have the opportunity to to talk about your your music and to explain it to people because especially as instrumental contemporary music it's not not in the mainstream of what people listen to as as, as music uh, lovers so so any opportunity to kind of get out there and explain in a little bit more detail what it is that you do it is, is an absolute godsend really so so that piece of music, because of, of that video that was on YouTube as well, has been uh, has been a, a nice one for me, really. But uh, yeah, it is, it's kind of funny using the word fans just to think of that. <laughs> Interesting. Well, I think you're going to have a lot of fans. Uh, you, you're very humble, and, and that's wonderful to hear. Uh, but uh, I think people you should check out. Uh, go to your website, uh, GwilliamSimcock.com, everyone, and uh, check out. The discography, uh, my, a couple of my favorites. I love Blues Vignette, um, uh, Good Days, and you know The Impossible Gentleman is a very interesting band with uh, Willem on piano and Mike Walker on guitar and Steve Rodby, who you probably know, uh, playing bass, and Adam Nussbaum on drums. And I think uh, on sax, it's uh, Ian Dixon. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, the, the last uh, album that we made called Let's get deluxe which came out last year again we put a lot of effort into sort of really layering that up a little bit i mean it's nothing like a, a Matheny album and uh, certainly we would never ever want it to sound anything like a, a Matheny album <laughs> in the nicest possible way but but it does have a lot of different uh, overdubs of different instruments and things like that which we put some strings on and i because i mentioned i play french horn so i put some trumpet and different uh, and horn and different things on as well as well as some percussion and tune percussion i played the marimba and vibraphone so we kind of um we went for quite an expansive sound with that album and i'm really proud of that again because you know again put a, put a lot of effort into to making the sound world of what it's about so yeah if anyone fancies having a listen to that it'd be, it'd be fantastic thank you yes, uh, oh thank you it sounds great and, and well uh, wonderful to finally meet Absolutely. Uh, listen, thank you so much for the time. It's great to, to get to speak to you and and uh, hello to everyone out there listening and, and I hope you, you enjoy some of the music. Thank you.
Beautiful. Now, uh, okay, so we'll end there. That was wonderful. Uh, thank you so much. I, awesome. I've been wa I've been wanting to meet you for a long time. I literally, when I first I heard your first record, I, I am a I'm a huge Pat fan. Uh, he and I have had our uh, our debates over the years, but um, at the end of the day, I'm a, 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 a huge Matheny fan. I'm, I'm a huge Lyle fan. I actually did a, a podcast with Lyle, a really good one about, I want to say 18 months ago, uh, and he had a lot of really interesting things to say. You know, about... I, I listened to that while I was on tour. I think it was two tours ago with, with Pat. I listened to that. It was, it was about an hour and 15 long, something yeah, like that. Yeah, it, was, it, was, it of... was only supposed to be 30 minutes, and we couldn't stop talking. It was amazing, and he was talking about... Um, um, no, yeah, architecture and uh, yeah. you know designing and, and everything like that. Yeah, well, he, I mean, said, he said something that that really resonated with me, and it, it's it's sad in a way. Um, so I said, you know, Lyle, so what's next? Are you gonna are you gonna do any recording? He said, No, I don't think so. And I said, Well, you left the music business, and he said, No, the music yeah. business left me. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I remember. I, you know, I I have listened to this interview, and it, it was kind of uh, it's such a weird situation for me because obviously I'm massively grateful to be to be playing with Pat, but uh, of course so many people come to the concert, you know, missing that Lyle's not not there, you know, and, and in a way, me, too, you know, I I miss that sound of, of of those guys playing together, and some of the things that I always go back to listening to is the you know the classic Pat Metheny albums, and yeah. and it's in this kind of weird weird situation for me of, of having this dream gig, but at the same time being gutted that my my predecessor isn't doing the gig anymore. So it's, <laughs> right. it's a very strange because he's just one of my absolute heroes, and certainly in the the style my my style of playing, and I know so much of it comes from the joy of, of listening to him play. So it's kind of funny old situation really, but I I, I really hope that he maybe reconsiders it sometimes yes, and some finds that somehow finds that the, the the love of music again to, to get involved with it but um, yeah no me too do you, you spend most of your when you're not touring uh, in london no not at all actually i live between manchester um sort of in the the northwest of england and berlin because i i got married last year to um, congrats uh, an english girl but she's a cellist in the berlin philharmonic so um wow. so I, I get to spend a lot of time over there and listening to the orchestra every other week which of course wow. is a great so um so yeah that's I'm, I'm a very lucky boy ready yeah that's that's wonderful <laughs> listen thank you so much and have a nice weekend speak to you soon Do the same bye-bye cheers man bye-bye bye, -bye. Bye. all right and that'll do it for another episode of jazz's backstage pass big thank you to jazz's publisher michael fagan for sitting in for me today I'd also like to thank this episode's sponsors. Uh, they include Smoke Sessions Records. The label just released a new record by drum legend Al Foster. It's called Inspirations and Dedications. Check it out online at smokesessionsrecords.com. Thanks also to Blue Note Records. They're currently celebrating their 80th anniversary with a bunch of cool musical initiatives. To check out everything they've got going on, visit bluenote.com. Another thank you to ECM Records, which this year celebrates its 50th anniversary. They've got a new concert recording of Keith Jarrett playing solo Bach from 1987. To learn more about that album and all the other great stuff coming out on ECM, visit ecmrecords.com. Another big thanks to the online streaming service Deezer. We regularly curate playlists on this platform. To check out our latest playlist, just visit deezer.com and search for Jazz Is. 
Our playlists also appear on Kobuzz. This is a high-res streaming service that is the premier destination for audiophiles looking to stream music online. Visit kobuzz.com to learn more. Another thanks to Jazz Radio, featuring more than 35 channels of curated jazz music for free online. Visit jazzradio.com to check it out. Thanks also to the New Jersey Performing Arts Center in Newark, New Jersey. On the calendar for them in November, a performance by Chaka Khan. It's taking place November 14th. For tickets and more info, visit njpac.org. That's njpac.org. Thanks also to Quest TV, the world's first subscription video on demand platform dedicated to jazz and beyond. It's an online library of jazz concert videos and feature documentaries that has been called the Netflix of jazz. It was started in part by Quincy Jones and has both free and premium memberships. Visit quest.tv to learn more. That's qwest.tv to learn more. Lastly, we'd like to thank the U.S. Navy Band Commodore's Jazz Ensemble, currently celebrating their 50th anniversary. They've got concert dates around the country. If you want to catch them in action, visit our website and click the Navy Band Commodore's banner. All right, that'll do it for me, everyone. See you next time.